Well, to start with this morning, I want to spend just a little bit of time talking about the nation of Israel. We certainly learn about that nation in the Old Testament, but we're also told something interesting uh, about their history in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, which I'll explain in just a moment. But uh, as you know, Israel was God's chosen nation in the time of the Old Testament. It was through that nation that God intended to make himself known to the world. It was therefore that nation that he gave his law. He blessed Israel in many ways. He cared for the nation. He protected the nation. And yet, despite all those blessings and despite all of God's kindnesses toward them, they were known for being many times an ungrateful people. Now, in the Old Testament, one passage that summarizes a little bit of that is Psalm 78. God had delivered the nation from bondage in Egypt, as you know. He had led them through the wilderness. As I said, he cared for them. He gave them water to drink. He gave them manna to eat. But nevertheless, here's what it says in Psalm 78, yet they still continued to sin against him. And in their heart, they put God to the test by asking food according to their desire. In other words, they didn't like what God was doing for them. They didn't think he was doing a good job. So they weren't happy. Another passage is Numbers chapter 11. Here again, we see that they were discontent with what God was doing. It says in verse 1, Now the people became like those who complain of adversity in the hearing of the Lord. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, angry at their discontent and their complaining. Even though God blessed them, they were just not satisfied. But it is in the New Testament, as I mentioned, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that we find the Apostle Paul summarizing then what they were guilty of, the sins they were guilty of. And he mentions there in that passage that they were idolaters. He mentions that they acted immorally. They tried the Lord. That means they tested him. They presumed upon his grace. And then it says, and they grumbled. That last one is the one I'm focusing on this morning. Grumbling, complaining was one of Israel's frequent sins. Some other passages in the Old Testament comment on that. Joshua 9 verse 18, the whole congregation grumbled against the leaders. Psalm 106, they grumbled in their tents. They did not listen to the voice of the Lord. So in 1 Corinthians, where Paul was summarizing what they were like, he tells us also in that passage that we need to look at that and learn from them. Verse 6, now these things happened as examples for us, that we would not crave evil things as they also crave. Verse 11, now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written down for our instruction. Here's something we can learn by examining Israel, and that is that God takes grumbling very seriously. Just think about whom we're grumbling against. He's a living God. 
He is a God who's completely sovereign. So when we are murmuring, we're murmuring against the very person, a living God, who is sovereign over the events or the circumstances of our lives, sovereign over the individuals who are in our lives who may be causing us grief. So when we complain, we're voicing our dissatisfaction with God's sovereign will. We're ultimately calling into question His wisdom. We're questioning whether He's good or not. We're questioning His love and His power. Moses understood that that's what the grumbling, who it was against. Exodus 16, verse 8, when the people were grumbling against the leaders, him and Aaron, he told them, the Lord, Yahweh, hears your grumblings. Your grumblings are not against us, but against the Lord. By the way, in the New Testament, the Greek term translated grumbling is gongudzo. It means to murmur or to mutter, actually to drone on sort of in a low, constant grumbling. Gongudzo. Let's say it. Gongudzo. Oh, see, you're grumbling. That's what it sounds like. It's an onomatopoeia, we call it, you know, that when something sounds, the word itself sounds like what it means, gongudzo. Well, here's why I've been discussing grumbling this morning. It's because of the verse that we're now studying today. In our study of 1 Thessalonians, we've been in chapter 5, and now we've arrived at verse 18. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, in everything give thanks. As we've seen the past few Sundays, that command is the third in a trilogy of commands in chapter 5, starting with verse 16. So here are the three altogether. Verse 16, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. So in the past, we spent some time on the first one, looking at what rejoicing is all about. We spent two Sundays on verse 17 about praying. So today we're going to do the same thing. We're going to drill down a little bit on this topic of thankfulness. In particular, we're going to examine this subject from four different perspectives. And here's the first one. Let's start here. Number one, the biblical call to thankfulness. Scripture is full of reminders calling us to express thanks to the Lord, either by command or by example. Psalm 30, verse 4, sing praise to the Lord, you His godly ones, and give thanks to His holy name. Psalm 97, be glad in the Lord, you righteous ones. Give thanks to His holy name. Psalm 92 that Jay read earlier began that way with thanks. Psalm 107, verse 1, oh, give thanks to the Lord for He is good, for His loving kindness is everlasting. We sang that in a song this morning because it's said in more than one psalm. His loving kindness endures forever. But it's not just in the Old Testament. In fact, the idea of giving thanks is especially characteristic of Paul's writings and also his practice. He constantly said that he gave thanks for the churches. Romans 1 verse 8, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you. 1 Corinthians, and even though the Corinthians had a lot of problems, he still said, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you. To the church in Ephesus, I do not cease giving thanks for you. To the Philippians, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. 
Colossians 3, 17, we're commanded now, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God. Even in our study of 1 Thessalonians, we've seen it a few times. Chapter 1, verse 2, Paul says, we give thanks to God for all of you. We make mention of you in our prayers. Chapter 2, verse 13, we also constantly thank God that when you received the Word of God, you knew what it was, that it was actually God's Word and you received it. So clearly, we are called as God's people to live with what you've probably heard it called, an attitude of gratitude. And we're called to express that gratitude, convey that gratitude to the Lord. So there is a biblical call to thankfulness. Here's another perspective, number two, the inclusive scope of thankfulness. We had to do this with the command rejoice, talk about the adverb modifier that was with it always. We brought that out with the command to pray. There was an adverbial modifier there in everything. So it's true of this one, an emphatic adverbial modifier. With giving thanks, the modifier is in everything. The bottom line is that this duty to be thankful is not something just dependent on the circumstances, whether they please us or not. It's an inclusive command. No circumstance is excluded. No situation is excluded. Obviously, we would say except the times for, of our own sin. We're not thankful that we sin. But even then, <clears throat> we can be thankful for God's forgiveness. We can be thankful for what we learn. But there is a clarification that I need to give to you. It's the same clarification I gave you last time talking about praying, where we are to pray without ceasing. We had to qualify that, what that means. Well, here too, this call to give thanks in all circumstances doesn't mean literally that we are expected to have thoughts of thanksgiving or utter words of thanksgiving in literally every single moment of the day. And we see that to be true even when this, where this modifier is used in other verses. For example, in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 8, Paul says, we're afflicted in every way. It's just a general statement. 2 Corinthians 7, we're afflicted on every side. Philippians 4, in any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry. And that's in the context of contentment. He says, at every circumstance, I've learned how to be content. And it doesn't matter what the circumstance is. So all those verses are just making general statements about life, and that's true of the verse that we're studying today. It's a general idea about life being put forth about being thankful in every circumstance. It's an inclusive command, and we find the same all-inclusive approach to thanksgiving in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20. Paul writes there, always giving thanks for all things, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Outside of Paul's writings, the writer of Hebrews makes the same point in Hebrews 13. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to the God. That is, he explains it, the fruit of our lips that give thanks to him. So at the very least, we can conclude this. Giving thanks in everything means we are to be thankful not only when life is going well. We're to be thankful not only when we are the obvious recipients of blessings from the Lord, 
included in the command is to be thankful and grateful even during trials and difficulties. Because a thankful heart is the point, should be what generally characterizes Christians. So we looked at the biblical call to thankfulness, the inclusive scope of thankfulness. Number three, the sinful hindrances to thankfulness or gratitude. You should say the same one on all those. If we're called to give thanks to the Lord as a habit of life, if this is an attitude of gratitude we are to live with, then the question is, why, why don't we? Well, the short answer is because of our flesh, and I define that frequently for us. Our flesh, what the Bible calls our flesh, is our unredeemed humanness. Even though we come to Christ, we carry our unredeemed humanness with us all the way to heaven until we're glorified. And then it will be done away with. And our new nature in Christ, our new orientation in Christ, battles that flesh every day. The flesh opposes the things of God. The flesh loves sin and worldliness. That's its default setting. Elsewhere, the Scripture refers to it as the principle of indwelling sin that we carry with us. But more specifically, what are some elements of the flesh that figure into our lack of thankfulness, our lack of gratitude? And one is this, unbelief. That's an aspect of the flesh. You see, people can give lip service to the fact that God exists, that He's sovereign, they can give lip service to the fact that he's good, and yet all the while in their hearts they can doubt that what he is doing is really what's best for their life. So they doubt his love. They doubt his wisdom, his goodness, his power. And that unbelief and a lack of, lack of trust in the Lord then results in ganguzo, complaining, being ungrateful. Here's another aspect of the flesh that interferes, hinders our thankfulness. It's pride. One of our problems is we have a higher opinion of ourselves than we ought to have. So Paul counsels against that in Romans 3. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Romans 12 verse 3. And in thinking highly of ourselves, we tend to think that we deserve something that we're not getting. We think in our pride that our plans are what are best, our dreams and schemes are always best, and God just doesn't get it. Even if we don't say it out loud, somewhere deep down we can be thinking that God owes us something more than what's happening in our lives. And the result in our hearts will be a complaining spirit and ingratitude. So, unbelief, pride, there's another aspect of the flesh that hinders our thankfulness, selfishness. In our selfishness, we want what we want. And if we don't get what we want, then we're unhappy and we are discontent. And the Bible has a word for a so-called desire that is actually controlling us. It's the word lust. When we hear that word, we think of one category of sin only, but it's used in a broad way in Scripture. It's a ruling desire. You see it in James 1. Each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, all sin. 
any sin. A lust is a ruling desire, something we crave, and if we don't have it, we're not happy. You could also call it an idol. We form idols in our hearts. We make idols out of something, out of pleasure, out of an experience, out of possessions. We make idols out of sinful things, but we can also make idols out of good things like marriage and children and family and jobs and so forth. And once they grip our hearts, once they're there, we then are discontent with life if they don't come to pass. And that results in us being ungrateful to God for His ways and what He's chosen to do. So you can call it a lust, a ruling desire, an idol. I'll give you another word you can call it, at least the way we use it sometimes in our culture. It's the word expectations. We have certain expectations about life, and when they don't come to pass... We're not happy. We can have expectations about the traffic. We can have expectations about the food at a restaurant we go to. You could have had an expectation about this sermon, and you're thinking, it's not what I expected. Perhaps this diagram will illustrate the problem in our hearts We get the eyes of our hearts focused on those expectations, and we compare them to reality the way life really is. And that gap can be pronounced, especially on important subjects like family, marriage, children, job, dreams, plans, ministry. And when we understand that reality is here, but our expectations were so different, what can result in our heart are any or all of those symptoms there. Irritation, frustration, discontentment, discouragement, ganguzo, grumbling, anger, bitterness, depression. Those are all symptoms, not the real problems. They're the symptoms of the problem. The point is, if we've allowed our desires to become that, expectations, which are really idols in our heart, that's going to result in a complaining spirit, ingratitude. I can summarize the problem of a lack of thankfulness and ingratitude this way. Let's just call it what it is. It's disobedience. Because as we've already noted, Scripture is clear. It calls us to be thankful, including the very verse that that prompted all this, 1 Thessalonians 5. We're commanded to give thanks in everything. Plus, there's another problem with with it. It's just not very becoming of Christians. It's, It's unsuitable for a Christian to be a complainer. It doesn't fit. It fits those who are not saved because being unthankful is, at the very, is in the very essence of the unregenerate heart. In Romans 1, where Paul describes the problem of the depravity of man and the progression of depravity that comes about in cultures, he says this in Romans 1.21, though they knew God, they understand that He exists, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. The two go together. 
So we're not to be like that. We're to be distinct from the ungrateful, unbelieving, lost world around us. In Ephesians 5, you can see what characterizes lost people, immorality, impurity. Verse 4, filthiness, silly talk, coarse jesting. And he says, those are just not fitting. But then he tells you what is fitting. And after, all, after listing all of those sins that don't fit us, the main one he lists that fit us, that's becoming to us, is giving thanks. So being thankful is becoming for God's people. It is fitting. It is suitable. To say it negatively, it is spiritually abnormal for Christians to be ungrateful and grumble. It doesn't fit us, and even more serious, it harms our testimony in the world. So when it comes to how we go about our lives, we, we are to be grateful, and we can be grateful, or we can choose to be ungrateful. There are the two choices. You can put it this way. We, we can choose to be content with what God has given us and what He's doing, or we can grumble about the circumstances wanting something different. Only one of those sides fit us. It's the side of giving thanks and being content. There's a fourth one, perspective here. We've seen the biblical call, the inclusive scope, the sinful hindrances. Number four, the divine prompt to thankfulness. Divine prompt I said this about rejoicing. I can say it about thanksgiving. We're not talking about something that's flowing out of a heart that's just choosing to be stoic. You know, it's the person that says, I'm just resigning myself to every situation that comes my way. I'm just going to grip my teeth and bear it. This is not that. Thankfulness is a virtue. But it's not a virtue we can just work up by our own strength. I mean, we're talking about living a way that is beyond normal human possibility. We have to have divine help. He has to prompt it in us. And he does it by his grace. It is the grace of God working in our hearts that creates the attitude of gratitude. And there's a connection even in some verses between grace and giving thanks. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 15, as Paul talks about the grace that he desired to be evident in their lives, he knew what it could do, that it could cause the giving of thanks. And cause there is the operative word. The grace of God causes it. In 2 Corinthians 9, he doesn't use the same words, but he he lists all this care that God gives in verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. He'll take care of you, meet your needs. You'll be enriched in everything for all liberality. And what's the norm that all of that goodness of God produces? Thanksgiving to him. It produces it. We need him for that. We need his action in our hearts, but this touches on a very important doctrine that we come to over and over again. I've mentioned it already today, and here we are talking about again, the doctrine of the sovereignty of God. 
God, by His grace, changes us. And as He changes us, we grow, by His grace, to recognize and even embrace the doctrine of God's sovereignty over all things. And as well, what goes with that, by the grace of God, we we trust then this sovereign God as He takes every single situation and turns it or overturns it for our good, just like Romans 8.28 says. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love Him. To the called ones, those who are the saved ones, He does this. He works it for good, and verse 29 tells us what the good is. He uses it all to conform us to the image of His Son, to make us more like Christ. That's the result of God's grace growing us, enlarging us, our view of God so that we embrace, recognize and embrace His sovereignty in all things. And as God's grace changes us and as God's grace enables us to embrace that perspective, then out of that changed perspective, we grow in recognizing all the reasons to be thankful. To say it differently, when we realize that God works all things out for good to those who love Him, and when we're yielded to His will, then a thankful heart will be the result. Because we know whatever happens is just fitting into God's eternal purpose for His people. And when we grow like that, in trusting God in every situation, our sovereign God, we know and experience then the truth that is put forth in many, many verses of Scripture, we start experiencing these truths to be real, like Psalm 37, verse 28. For the Lord does not forsake His godly ones. They're preserved forever. We start to take comfort in those kind of verses because of His gracious action in our hearts related to the doctrine of His sovereignty and His goodness. We see Psalm 91 verse 4 to be true in our lives, that He covers us with His pinions and under His wings we we have refuge. His faithfulness to us is like a fortress, a shield, a bulwark. We start living in the experience of Psalm 145 verse 9, the Lord is good to all and His mercies are over all His works. We live our lives with an attitude of gratitude. And this is why Christians can still be thankful even amid trials and tribulations. We know God. And we know that this sovereign God in the faithfulness of His love and the faithfulness of His goodness is sovereignly ruling not only for His glory but for our good. So here's how we go through life, trusting our sovereign God. We start recognizing more and more the new mercies that are evident daily in our lives. And that moves us to thank God even more. Lamentations 3. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. We love to sing that, right? Great is thy faithfulness. God's grace opens our eyes to see all of that. And here's another way to say it. If we're growing like that, by His grace, 
The Lord graciously working in our hearts to affirm and rest in God's sovereignty and goodness, then our focus is turning more and more away from ourselves and onto Him, and that'll make us thankful. And there's a companion thought that's going to be hand in hand with that kind of growth a growth in understanding God's character and His ways. It's going to be a growth in the, in the right view of ourselves that's going to increase. And the right view of ourselves is coming to clearly understand and to admit that we don't deserve anything good. Ever. We can look at that little diagram again with an added thought. We get our eyes of our heart focused on our expectations, lust, and ruling desires and all that. We compare it to reality and we have all those symptoms, but we have a choice to focus the eyes of our heart on something else, and that'll happen the more we enlarge our view of God and have a correct view of God. We'll start to realize I shouldn't compare reality to what I'm not getting. I should compare reality to what I really deserve. And what we deserve is hell. Eternal damnation and what we deserve in this life is not one single plan or desire ever working out. If it's ever worked out, it was at the hand of a gracious God giving us something we don't deserve. And I guarantee you it's not all those other ugly symptoms that will result in our heart then. What results in our heart is gratitude, just thankfulness to the Lord. A thankful heart. When we remember, when God enables us to recognize His sovereignty and we remember what we deserve, but yet we recognize that we're receiving blessings, it results in a thankful heart. And we'll start expressing gratitude even for the smallest kind of blessings in life. Dr. Joel Beakey comments on that. First, he says this, One need not be swimming in prosperity to have cause to give thanks. An ice cube is sufficient. But there's a reason he said that. In this resource that I was reading all of this from Dr. Beakey, he talks about something that happened with his father. His father had to go in the hospital. Dr. Beakey went to visit his father. Here's what he wrote. My father once was weeping in a hospital room. When I discovered him in tears, he explained that he was not crying out of pain, but out of gratitude. A nurse had given him an ice cube to moisten his mouth. And he realized that what he deserved was to be immersed in the flames of hell and to never have a drop of water to cool his tongue. So he was grateful. So Dr. Beakey concludes, we likewise should be full of gratitude that we enjoy the least blessings of life instead of the well-earned, deserved torments of hell. You know what we have to do is regularly push the pause button on our busy lives and take a step back and once again look around at those daily mercies all the daily evidence of God's grace and blessings to us. And it's happening even though we live in a fallen world. This is a messed up, broken world. It's one that's growing increasingly more wicked. 
And yet still it's true that in the kindness of God, there are things that are still blessings. There are things that are still good. There are things that go right. We start realizing again the truth of 1 Timothy 6 verse 17. God richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. James 1.17, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. That's the fact. We never lack good gifts for which to thank the Lord. Never. If we just push the pause button and look. You see, gratitude fits us. It only makes sense. We're the ones that have been united to the God of the universe through His Son, Christ, We are the ones who have been saved from sin. We're the ones who are going to go to heaven when we die forever. No wonder it's becoming to us to to be grateful people. There was some more to verse 18, though. It doesn't just say, in everything, give thanks. There's a clause, a final clause that's added to it. In verse 18, it says, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And you need to know something about that clause. That connecting term for is connecting that clause with all three of the commands that are part of this trilogy. Rejoicing always, praying without ceasing, giving thanks in everything. All three of those commands collectively are what the little pronoun this refers to. For this, those three. Collectively, all three are God's will for us. Dr. Hebert, great commentator, wrote this, Rejoicing, prayer, and thanksgiving form a trio that are closely related and must not be separated in practice. Makes a lot of sense that thankfulness would follow talking about praying because as we pointed out in prayer, thanksgiving is one of the normal elements of prayer. Dr. Robert Thomas, my own uh, Greek professor in seminary, Dr. Thomas writes, Rejoicing, praying, and giving thanks do not exhaust God's will. There's more of God's will, but there are vital parts of it. And there's a little prepositional phrase in that clause, in Christ Jesus. This is the will of God for those in Christ Jesus. So that's saying that what he's talking about here is directly for believers We are the ones who are in that sphere. We live and move in the sphere of being in Christ. That's our position. It's who we are, our identity. So for those in Christ, this is God's will. And that little phrase, in Christ, even points to Christ himself being the pattern for it. We can examine his earthly life and we can see how to live this out because he did That little phrase in Christ points to the source of the strength for this. In Him, only in union with Him, is a life like this possible. So the argument's not even, as one writer put it, the argument's not you must do this because God wills it. It's more this tone, knowing that it's God's will for you, then you can do it. You can. Richard Phillips has a an interesting comment about the three and what we're supposed to seek and not seek after. He writes, knowing that these blessings are found in Christ Jesus warns us against directly seeking after them. 
directly seeking joy, prayerfulness, and thanksgiving. We do not attain to joy by seeking to be happy, but by seeking Christ and by coming to God through the promises of His Word. We do not attain to prayer, a life of prayerfulness by means of rigorous schedules, but by realizing all that God is and has for us in Christ. It motivates us to pray. We will become thankful not by means of reminders that we place on our desks, but by coming to to know God better, reflecting on everything that He is, everything that He's done to secure our eternity for us. All of this is God's will. Now, you remember, I guess it was last week, maybe we discussed God's will. I pointed out that there are two aspects to God's will. There is His secret will, all that God has decreed to come to pass in His own eternal mind. He decreed all those things in His eternal mind, in eternity past, His secret will. But there is His revealed will. All that God has commanded in Scripture that we are to obey. obey. He's revealed it to us, so here it is. And I gave you a verse, Deuteronomy 29, verse 29, that puts those two together. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us. And at the end of the verse, he mentions it's in his law, his word. So back to our verse, these three commands, to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in everything, these are God's will, but which aspect? These are aspects of God's revealed will, His revealed moral will for us, and therefore they are to be obeyed, which is something true believers delight in doing. Just to remind you, there are verses that highlights the importance of obedience. Mark 3.35, whoever does the will of God, he's my family. I'm close to him, father, mother, brother, sister. 1 John 2.17, the world's passing away and all of it's lost, but who's the saved person? The one who does the will of God. It's not that he does the will of God to earn forever salvation, it's just that's who he is. So he loves to do the will of God and you can recognize him that way, true believers. And it's not a drudgery, it's, there is a sincerity of heart in our obedience. Ephesians 6 verse 6, obey as slaves of Christ, yes, doing the will of God, yes, but from the heart to joy. So as we obey what God's Word says, we become then less and less like the fallen world because we're more and more being changed by the truth of God that He keeps revealing to us in His Word. And we live out then, make evident the will of God in the world. Romans 12 verse 2, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that's what truth does to our minds. So that you may prove, you may manifest and make evident what the will of God is, His revealed will. And it's good and acceptable and perfect. These three injunctions are not optional for us. They're at the very center of God's will for us. And they're essential. Without them, we fail to do the will of God. I want to close by making a connection to another thought in Scripture, and it's the first commandment of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, verse 3. There's a connection here between the exhortation to thankfulness and this commandment. The commandment is very broad-reaching, you shall have no other gods before me, 
which the implication is everything about our lives, the whole aim of our lives should be to revere God, fear God, worship God alone. And what's going to go with that then is trusting Him. And in addition, we understand it's our duty then to give Him thanks always because He deserves it. He alone is the source of our blessings because He's the only God. Our thanksgiving is a way to honor God and to fulfill that command. We acknowledge Him to be the author of everything that's good when we give Him thanks. So we should continually do that in everything. I want to leave you with two final thoughts just about thanksgiving and its relationship to our prayer life. One is this, when you're in adversity, then pray, but make sure you're praying not just with a burdened heart, but you're praying for the burden with a thankful heart. In burdens and difficulties and adversity, we we get anxious, we get burdened, and, and we lose our peace. And so Scripture tells us to do something with those burdens. We are to give them to the Lord. But look what it says about that in Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request to God. They're together. They're not separate. We give our burdens to the Lord in prayer, the very burdens that are robbing us of our peace in times of adversity, and we express our thankfulness to the Lord as we give Him those burdens, and what we're expressing thankfulness for is who He is and whatever He chooses to do. Thank you, Lord. And the result is we get our peace back, divine peace. And that thought made me mindful of some of the lyrics to a couple of hymns that we sing sometimes here that express the kind of thinking during adversity. If we think this way during adversity, then we'll have no trouble praying with thanksgiving. One is the hymn, Day by Day. The third stanza of that reads this, Help me then in every tribulation so to trust your promises, O Lord. That I lose not faith's sweet consolation offered me within your holy word. Help me, Lord, when toil and trouble meeting together, ere to take as from a father's hand, help me to do this, he says. Help me to take as from a father's hand, one by one, the days, the moments fleeting. Help me embrace them, whatever you have for me, till I reach the promised land. We'll be able to persevere through adversity when we pray properly with thanksgiving. The other hymn is Like a River Glorious. And one of the stanzas of that hymn reads, Every joy or trial falleth from above, traced upon our dial by the sun of love. There's a comparison to the old sundial that the the sun shone down and then the shadow got traced across the sundial to let you know what time of day it was approximately. So based upon that, he says, the trials get traced upon our dial, our life. That's what's traced there. And they're being traced on our dial by the Son, the Son of love. Because of that, we may trust Him fully, all for us to do, 
And they who trust him that way, who trust him wholly and fully, they do find him to be wholly true. Pray with a thankful heart during times of adversity. But there's another extreme, number two. Pray with a thankful heart during prosperity. I haven't said anything about that yet. I've been talking about the trials of life and how difficult it can get. But it's interesting that the other extreme in life can also result in a lack of gratitude. Instead of not getting what we want, there are plenty of times where we do get what we want. Life is what we want it to be, and we're still ungrateful. In a word, it's times of prosperity. Times of prosperity end up being a great test of our hearts because prosperity exposes us to some danger, to some temptations. And the danger is captured in the words of Deuteronomy 8. When you've eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply and all that you have multiplies, this is great. Here's the problem. Your heart can become proud. And you can forget the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, saying that to Israel. God delivered them out of those terrible years of slavery. We can put this in new covenant terms. We forget that God's the one that rescued us out of darkness, the bondage of our sin, and saved us. We can forget that. Because everything's going really well. I don't know, maybe we tell the Lord that. Hey, everything's fine right now, Lord. I don't need you, but if it changes, I'll let you know. No, we need to live with this wise perspective that you see in Proverbs 30. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion, that I not be full and deny you. And say, who is the Lord? Who needs Him? Or that I not be in want, the other extreme, be tempted to steal and then profane the name of the Lord. Meet my needs and help me be content with that. That goes along with being grateful. So Dr. Beakey says this, we pray spontaneously for those who are suffering, but let us also pray for the successful. (laughs) People who are in prosperity, adversity is a bitter cup to drink. Prosperity is an intoxicating wine, also dangerous. Maybe this final verse can just be our marching orders on this topic, Colossians 2. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in Him, having been firmly rooted, now being built up in Him, maturing spiritually, growing, established in your faith just as you were instructed, and what's going to go with that? Overflowing with gratitude. Part of Christian maturity. And it fits us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for pointing out to us what's really at the heart of your will for us each day, how we're to live, rejoicing always and praying without ceasing throughout the day and always being mindful to thank you for the evidence of your grace toward us. Father, we confess that we sometimes prefer to grumble, we're prideful, we're selfish, We're focused on self. We've lost our trust in you. We doubt you. 
Lord, thank you for being a merciful, forgiving God for all those times of complaining. But Lord, by your grace, work in our hearts the spirit of gratitude so that with a thankful heart, we are living each day to your glory. I do pray for anyone here who can't even say that any of this even applies to them because they don't know Christ. Bring them the humility necessary in their hearts to cry out that they're a sinner and they need to be saved. Give them faith, the gift of faith, that they might trust in Christ alone for that forgiveness. For the sake of our Savior and His kingdom, amen.